Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Wild Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm good. How are you? Got a little Midwestern with that tonight. Catherine. Oh. Maybe it's not even Midwestern. I don't know. Let me just... Who knows what that was? It wasn't me. It was an out-of-body experience <laughs> when I announced that name tonight. <laughs> and that's because, folks, I've been up since 5 a.m. taking care of these kids. These kids are crazy. We've got so much to talk about in the domestic world. But here we are, folks. Episode 58 of The Long yeah. Finish. Woo. Thanks for coming along for this ride. Hope you all had a great long weekend. Great President's Day. Hope you all deserved the heck out of President's Day. Enjoyed a little Valentine's Day on Sunday. Kicking off another week. Heading strong towards the end. I'd say the back half of February. February always flies. Well, it's shorter. That's what I mean. Yeah. Was, is that, was, that a, <laughs> was that a calendar joke? I don't know. Calendar nerd over here. Well, I was just saying today, like, it's been almost, well, isn't today, it's been 11 months that we've been quarantined, you know, covid Habiting. <laughs> COVID habiting. We're no longer cohabitating. Now we're COVID habitating. <laughs> COVID dating. COVID dating. Anyway. I'm sure COVID dating is actually being used by many people out there. Even though you probably shouldn't be. COVID dating. Yeah. Oh, it's happening. Is it happening? I mean. I don't know. I certainly don't know. <sighs> I know it is. Be safe out there if you're COVID dating out there. <laughs> Episode 58. Getting some fun wine tonight. A little bit of orange wine, right, Catherine? Yeah, we haven't done an orange wine in a long time. And so we were talking about what to do, and I thought this would be super fun. Let me tell you about this. Please. This is from Domaine Val d'Argonne. That's the name of the winery. This wine is La Gazelle Orange de Mogador. And it's from Morocco, vintage 2018. I don't know if you've had many wines from Morocco. There aren't a ton out there on the market. More and more each year, the winemaker is getting better and better. This wine is excellent. This winemaker is excellent. Super excited to drink this. Well, I'll taste it. You'll drink it. That's correct. So we'll get into that because I know there's a lot of fun things to discuss about this wine, not only in the drinking, but also in the production of the wine. Yeah, the story behind it, the uh, just a short little history of Morocco is kind of cool. Yeah, and the producer's fun. Could you place Morocco on a map? Well, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I was just asking. Not every country, but certainly Morocco. You've got Africa, right? It's North Africa, and then it borders the Mediterranean and the Atlantic. It's in the northwest corner. Yeah, I mean, it, it has such a relationship to France Absolutely. Uh, in its history. You don't think about Morocco making a lot of wine, but geographically, you take a step back and you're like, it's right next to France. Of course that makes sense. Well, and it was colonized yeah. by France yeah. for years, and that really... That isn't what started the winemaking there, but that was the boom of the winemaking for many, many years. Also, I think of, I can place Morocco on a map because Casablanca. Boom. I've never been to Morocco. It's a place we should probably go. It'll be super cool. I think a couple of years ago, my parents, I think they went to Morocco. They took a trip. Well, a trip, trip they did. A trip they of did. a lifetime. My parents, shout out to John and Linda, they, they did a National Geographic trip around the world. Trip of a lifetime. Trip of a lifetime, My truly. My goodness. So put that on the bucket list. When COVID is done, 
We're going to Morocco. On it. So we're gonna do. We're taking three kids. We're gonna travel. <laughs> We're never traveling again. Who are we kidding? This third kid is coming. No, this, no. this third kid is imminent in two months. We're never gonna leave LA. Well, we've again. got a minivan, so it's we true. can go a little ways. wherever we want. Yeah. We can roam. Yeah. Three hundred miles to the gallon on the is that right? That doesn't make any sense. That would be crazy. <laughs> <be> incredible. <laughs> Rome, if you want to. Sing it, sing it. Rome around the world. All right, we're a little loopy tonight on Saturday night. It's been a long day. That's what I want to get at. Uh, You know what? Our two kids are crazy right now. We haven't talked about the sleeping in a while. For the most part, our four-year-old is dialed in. He's been doing great. On his sticker chart, staying in his bed all night, waking up at a reasonable hour, and by that I mean after 6 o'clock, he's been generally doing really well this two-year-old however is a terror we know he's a problem in the best way because he has a cheshire cat smile whenever he does anything he knows he's about to get in trouble and he loves it he has this habit now where he wakes up in the middle of the night and he turns the lights on in his room and turns the sound machine off luckily our four-year-old sleeps right through it but we wake up because we keep our door open and we see the lights on and we're like what is going on and this kid's w- awake at 2 in the morning, but he wants to get up around 5 in the morning. 5 in the morning. So that's what I'm getting up. We're up watching Curious George, which we listen to, by the way, on repeat on Spotify. Make some breakfast. Go to the market. It's just been a long day. Every Saturday, every Sunday, they're just kind of the same day. It's same day. And I will say this. I'm so happy that number three is coming into the world at some point, but I'll be really happy to have someone to share a glass of wine with. during the evenings me too i really do miss it so the sad part is this is just a calm before the storm and i i don't know if i mentioned this last week but in our first four months we're going to have bought what's up a minivan oh yeah you did mention but we have new home kid covid vaccine this is all the first quarter of 2021 it's craziness so yeah i'll be excited to have a, a partner to have a glass of wine with and maybe We'll circle back to this wine tonight, a little orange wine. We haven't done orange wine, I think, since like episode three. Yeah, it's been a while. So check that out. And um, let's talk about the wine tonight. Let's talk about the Moroccan wine. Let's talk about orange wine. Let's get into all things good about this one. So let me tell you again. This is Domaine Val d'Argon. That's the name of the winery. La Gazelle Orange de Mogador is the name of this wine. It's from Morocco. And it's from just outside Essaouira, E-S-S-A-O-U-I-R-A. It's the southernmost winery in Morocco. So Morocco, we talked about, we're in North Africa, right? So it's really warm. And in this area I was reading about, it can get to 131 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, we're in the desert here. But all the wine regions are really close to the coast. So six out of seven border the Atlantic coast. And then the seventh is north and it borders the Mediterranean. So they all receive some winds from the coast. But really, they depend on the winds in this winery in particular because it is so in the desert. So... Morocco has kind of a cool history of wine. It dates back to the Phoenicians. Then the Romans carried on in the same tradition. But in the 7th century, due to Islamic bans of alcohol, there was no wine 
production. And then in the 19th and 20th century, French colonization, which we talked about before, that's when the winemaking really started to boom. And not only winemaking, but wine drinking as well. In the 1950s, it There was tons of wine coming out of Morocco. But then shortly after that, Morocco gained independence and a lot of the vineyards were kind of abandoned or turned into something else. And then in the 90s, King Hassan II wanted to get the wine industry going again, so had a lot of incentives for French winemakers and investors to come back And so slowly it started to come back. And one of the people who came to Morocco during that time in the 1990s was Charles Malia, the producer, the winemaker of Val d'Argonne. And he is French. He had a winery called Chateau de la Fonte de Loup in Chateauneuf-du-Pape, and now his daughter runs that. But he came to Asuria and he planted his vineyards, actually what came to be Morocco's first certified organic vineyard, which is pretty cool. And as I said, it's in the middle of the desert. It's like 131 degrees. So the vines are kind of like what we talked about in Greece or in the Canary Islands where they're really close to the ground. This helps get them, I guess, not quite as hot. And he also plants sorghum as a cover crop. That helps lower the heat a little bit. But even with all that, 50% of the grapes are sunburned and don't make it. So it's still like a tiny production. And one other really cool thing about this winery is that they don't have a tractor and instead they plow and work the fields with their camel. Goliath is his name. Not really bothered by the heat. And they have one camel. Yeah, that's his name. That's amazing. Maybe he has a friend too, but he (laughs) is, Goliath is the poster child for the winery. I'll post a picture of him. And he's not really, like I said, he's not bothered by the heat and he doesn't, you know, pollute the environment. So, uh, they're big fans. And in Morocco, in general, most of the wine is red wine. Like 75% is red wine. Most of the rest of the production is rosé. And then just tiny, tiny, like 3% is white wine. Okay, so very little. Most of the red wine is grapes that you know from the Rhone Valley, which makes sense since the French were the ones who set up the vineyards there and the climate is similar in a way. So red grapes that like the warmth, Carignan, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, Grenache, Cinso, Alicante. But this is a white wine, one of the, you know, very few white wines from Morocco. And it's a blend of Viognier, Grenache Blanc, and Muscat Noir. Now, Viognier and Grenache Blanc are Big time Rhone varieties that like the heat, but they're fermented one month on the skins, then off the skins and aged in stainless steel for four months and then bottle. So let's taste it. So this is pretty. I mean, you would guess this is an orange wine by the color, but it is light. It's like a very pretty golden, light gold. And when you swirl it, a little bit of orange kind of comes out. You'll see, oh, yes, this has got some pigment to it. What's funny about this wine is that in the bottle, it looks orange to me. In the glass, you're right, it looks closer to like a like a dark golden amber or something. Yeah, um, almost like aged Chardonnay or yeah. something. And I see the legs coming down now. 
Some alcohol, not too crazy, 12.5%. Oh, also, clean, clear, doesn't look like anything's floating in it. Just put your nose in there and you're like, oh yeah, here's an orange wine. It's so true. I think even more than the color for this wine, the nose is a real indicator that it's an orange wine. How to define that nose, that's your job. (laughs) I think for me, what signals that orange wine on the nose is that really ripe and sour fruit. Sour is the word. I was thinking tart, but I think sour is a better word for that. That's, That's well done. So I have yellow apple, but like decaying yellow apple. Apple cider. That's kind of where that sour part comes in. Overripe peach, tangerine. And then we have some white flowers, peach blossom, intense salinity, like that's just salty air and a mineral component as well. Something just a little metallic. But if you can get past that apple cider and that sour character, there's a really intense floral. I think that peach blossom is like a big one for me. Let's taste it. It's dry. It's medium body. There is some tannin to it, which makes sense because it's on the skins. Just like it kind of coats your tongue at the finish. It's got high acidity, more medium high. And the flavor on the palate is more sour apple, sour peach with like a saltiness to it. And the finish, when you have that little bit of coated tannin on your tongue, finish is really quite saline and salty. That's where you get that minerality. It's really nice because sometimes orange wine does have that sour factor and it just hangs around and leaves kind of a bad or just tangy aftertaste. But this is really nice because you get that pop of sour apple, sour stone fruit, and then it gives away to the saltiness. It's nice evolution. I was going to say that too. From the first time I tasted this wine earlier tonight, there is like a lingering quality that some orange wines have. And this has like a real delicacy to the, the palate. Like it just sort of, like like sea air sort of just kind of dissipates in a way, washes away. It's very, it feels almost ephemeral. It's, it's very light. It is. is it's surprisingly saying. light. Yeah. And even now, I'm still tasting it, and I get more of the floral element on the finish. Just that white flower, that peach blossom. It is really subtle. It's a, it's a pretty wine. I'm a fan. I am interested to hear what your thoughts would be on pairings for this wine. Moroccan food, obviously. Yeah. But what else? I mean, definitely like a lot of spice, food with spice. You know, I was thinking some like spiced lentils or the Moroccan chickpea stew, anything Mediterranean. We have a great meze plate at Esther's that has hummus and it has olives on it and tzatziki and romesco sauce, just a bunch of different flavors and spices. This is great with all of that. You know, it's so random. Uh, Obviously great cheese too, like kind of a stinky cheese would be great with this. And this is the random thing. I don't know why, but I was just sort of imagining like a loaded up hot dog with like sauerkraut and mustard and just like just loaded that that would be good too. I don't know if that's just what I'm craving or what. I did buy some hot dogs this week for the kids. Sounds good. We want to try it. All right. So we're into this wine. How can we get people to find this wine or wines or orange wines or Moroccan wines? How can we help people go find those? Well, Moroccan wine isn't everywhere. 
I think the you're most likely to find it in a restaurant or on a restaurant list. So if you have a Moroccan restaurant or a North African restaurant in your area, you know, they might feature something by the glass and that would be a great place to try it. There's a pretty famous restaurant in San Francisco called Murad. You know that restaurant? I don't know it, but, but, I, but, have, I, but I should. Yeah, they have a lot of Moroccan wines on the list. And the importer of this wine, which is Nomadic Imports and um, a fellow named Didier, is from Morocco. And so he's really brought a lot of wonderful Moroccan wines to California, which is pretty cool. I don't know about the East Coast and, and the accessibility, but I would say the best bet is to get some carry out or be able to dine in a Moroccan restaurant. We're also delivering all over the country. So if you want to call in Esther's and say, hey, can I try the Moroccan wine? Give us a call. Yeah. Fair to say. And we just started pouring this by the glass. Oh, that's too. cool. It, there's not very much of it, so it won't be for long, but I'm excited about it. I want to ask this. I ask this sometimes about wines that feel a little bit off the common grid. What wine drinkers are in the market to drink this orange wine from Morocco? Well, I think certainly a lot of orange wine drinkers because they're looking for orange wine. They're looking for something a little outside the norm, something a little adventurous, something a little different. And this really fits that bill. I also think it would be a great wine for someone who is just looking to try something different, maybe doesn't know about orange wines because it is so delicate and subtle. Uh, it doesn't really hit you over the head. It's not so challenging in a way. It's pretty. So someone who wants to dip their toe in that orange wine world, this would be a great one. I also just think the fact that we've all been cooped up in our house or apartments, or our homes for the last year. We've talked about this in the past. Wine and food are a great way to feel like we're traveling in some yeah, ways. And I feel like the opportunity to... Morocco. Let's look at pictures. Exactly. Like, get some Moroccan wine. Take a look at, you know, what's going on in that part of the world. And I think, like, it's so unique to drink, for many people, to drink Moroccan wines. I think this is a cool opportunity to, to see the world in a way. Yeah, and imagine yourself on the Moroccan coast. You're driving on this road from Essaouira to Marrakesh, and you're going to go to the marketplace and buy some amazing rugs and tiles, and you stop at this winery and meet Goliath the camel. Sounds fabulous. We'll put that picture of Goliath the camel on Instagram. So, Hit us up on uh, Instagram DM if you have any questions or thoughts about the wine at the long finish. And hopefully you'll find some orange wine or Moroccan wine to drink sometime later this month. All right, now we come to the last portion of the show, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to go first. I've been trying to listen to a lot of podcasts where I can get myself over the hump creatively in this script that I'm reading and hoping to produce later this year. Um, and recently I came uh, up on the episode of The Moment with Brian Koppelman, who you know is the creator of Billions, also the co-writer of Rounders with Matt Damon and Ed Norton from the 90s and many other movies in between. Anyway, he has a great podcast. And he has a podcast um, earlier this year with the famous music producer Rick Rubin, Really interesting conversation. Rick Rubin is one of the 
most eccentric, also talented producers in, in the music game. He founded Def Jam Records, produced those great Johnny Cash albums in the early 2000s. An epic legend. Yeah, just a true legend. And so uh, I recommend this podcast a lot. And I think one of the nuggets I found was, what did I say to you earlier? It was um, Brian Koppelman said that Rick Rubin has the ability to raise the bar and lower the pressure. And lower the pressure for the artist. I think that's an interesting way to think about things. Whether you are in the arts, uh, you're in the creative space, you're in the restaurant world, in your in your work world, like the idea to become to like have the opportunity to fail without consequence is kind of a cool thought. The thing that I need to be thinking more about, like just get better at what I do and not worry worry about what may come out of that. And that really just boils down to being present, right? Like that's what all things ultimately boil down to. So really enjoying what Brian Koppelman's putting out on the moment, including this Rick Rubin episode. So go ahead and check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Catherine, what do you got? Well, another book for you in the latest of my book club. I am reading a book called Crashed by Timothy Hallinan, who is lives part-time in Santa Monica. And part-time in Thailand. And this is a junior bender mystery. It's in a series. It's the first one. I had not read anything by him. But it's fun because it takes place in L.A. And this one is mostly in the valley so far. But talking about different streets and different places in the valley. valley and he's a burglar. And it's just a completely different view of this area than I would ever think about and it's fun the writing is fun and I'm like in this completely different world just over the hill uh it's really enjoyable you just say you're completely over the hill um I guess I meant that (laughs) yeah like I went on the 405 over the hill into the valley and I'm over there and it's totally wild got you (laughs) it's LA speak we'll talk about this more we were over the hill a bunch looking for some houses. Yes, we did not end up finding a place there, but we did drive on a lot of these streets. And I mean, this is just a crazy different world of LA than I think I live in. So it's really fun. This last thing I'll say, but I was talking to my sister about the fact that we're moving to Culver City and, and my sister lives in Virginia. And she said she's heard of Culver City because <laughs> growing up, you know, I was outnumbered. It was two sisters and, and me. And so we went on road trips. We got to watch some movies sometimes, and I got outnumbered. And so we watched Troop Beverly Hills with Shelley Long a lot. And one of the tro- the rival troops was from Culver City. And so that's how my sister knew of that town. So shout out Troop Beverly Hills. I love it. You know, we're going to have our three boys watching these movies. Definitely. You, they're definitely watching Grease, movie I've watched a million times. Sound of music. Sound of music, musicals. of course. So, guys... My boys, you're watching all the movies. Just get ready. So there you go. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 58 of The Long Finish. Episode 58 is in the books. Everyone, thank you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our show. If you have an opportunity to do that as a little post-Valentine gift to us, send in a little review or rating. Just let us know you're out there. We really appreciate that. Catherine, where can they find you and Long Finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram and Facebook and The Long Finish at The Long Finish on Instagram and Facebook. Find The Long Finish on Twitter at TLF Pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. Thanks again for coming in to listen to another great episode. We should have a few more before we get this move on. We'll keep you posted on what we're doing in our life and uh, have some more great wine in store until then 
Have a great week. Be smart. Be safe. Practice social distancing. Wear masks. Get those vaccines. And have to drink. Ciao.